so this past week, I had the best week and the worst week of my life. It was the best week because I got to baptize my friends and family. It was the worst week of my life because on Tuesday, I was walking in my bedroom, just like normal, everything's fine, and in a split second, I began to suffer from the worst case of vertigo that I've ever heard about or read about ever. Um, my brain was telling my eyes that the room was doing this really, really fast, and I thought that I was having a brain aneurysm and dying. Um, even though I don't know what a brain aneurysm is, that thought just came to my head. I thought, there's something wrong with my brain, I'm about to die, so I jumped on the bed, and for 36 hours, I could not move one single piece of my body. I couldn't open my eyes, anything, for 36 hours straight, could not move. Uh, it was just the most horrifying experience ever. And I, at first I thought I was dying. Now, when you think you're dying, I don't know if y'all have ever had a life or death experience. When you think you're dying, these thoughts come to your mind. Sometimes you think you're dying, and, and the thought was, you know, God, I promise if you, if you heal me and I don't die right now, I promise I'll never have road rage again. You know, you, whatever sin you're battling, you think, I'll never do it again, just heal me, you know. Um, when I thought I was dying, I did not think about my wife or children. I knew God would take care of them. I did not think about my close friends. I knew they were okay. The one thought that came to my mind when I thought I was dying, it was so interesting. The one thought was, I can't see Jesus face to face yet because I'm a pastor and there's people in my church that have not yet given their life to Christ. That was the thought I had. And so in that thought, uh, God told me to start a new series. And remember, we, we ended the Ten Commandments series last week. Today I'm starting a new series called Grace. And I believe that God wants me to preach grace to you until... Every single person in our church has given their life to Jesus, publicly confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So from today and for the next 20 years, or the next two years, or the next two weeks, however long it takes, at the end of each sermon, I'm going to give you a chance to come forward and make Jesus the Lord of your life. Um, the problem with grace is that it's been um, out of balance over the past eight years, this whole grace movement where people think they can do whatever they want to because of grace and the law doesn't matter and the commandments don't matter. Uh, that's foolishness. And I think that us pastors have made the mistake, we've preached grace um, and in the same way that we preach faith and, and miracles and, and relationships and finances. And what I mean by that is, is we preach grace as if we're preaching to Christians. But the Bible says that you can't even understand the Bible unless you're saved. So if there's ever a subject that we need to preach as if we were all children, it's the subject of grace. So what I'm going to do is in this series, I'm going to preach as if I'm talking to a room full of 10-year-olds. And it's not to be offensive to you, it's not to be offensive to your intelligence or your IQ, but there are actually 10-year-olds in our service. And so when it comes to Christian lingo and certain phrases out the Bible, I'm going to actually explain what I'm saying in a very easy and a very, um, a very effective way for young people or people that don't know Jesus at all. So that's what this series is about. It's grace. We have a memory verse for the series. It comes from Ephesians 2.8, and we're going to read this every single week. And, um, and, and at one point during the next several weeks or years, uh, it's going to just hit you and, and you're going to totally get it. Okay, so good and strong, Ephesians 2.8, ready, read. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, I meant to talk to some of the teenagers before service and I forgot. Can I use some of y'all in my sermon today? Okay, now be honest, if you don't want me to, say no. Okay, so I can use y'all. Out of y'all, which one of y'all is the loudest? Okay. 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 When I point to you, I want you to shout out grace. Grace! Okay, ready? Grace! Good job. When I point to you, I want you to shout out no. Okay, ready? 
<laughs> Can you do it louder? Okay. <laughs> okay. And, um, and, and uh, uh, who, Dylan, okay, when I point to you, you say yes. Yes. Good job. Okay. Hey. No. Yes. Okay. Um, is, is, is grace a gift? Um, is there anything you can do to earn it? No. Where do you get the faith to be able to even believe in Christ? Grace. Um, what got you up out of bed this morning? Grace. What leads you to Christ when you're unsaved? Grace. What leads you to Christ after you're saved? Grace. What is the very reason you can think right now? Grace. What is the reason that you're alive right now? Is there anything more powerful in the entire world? No. You got to be quicker. If I were to ask you or ask all the Christians, well, what is grace? Okay, they would say grace is divine enablement. Okay, that's the that's what they say grace divine enablement. Now that is not what grace is, but that's what everybody would say. That is what grace does. Grace divinely enabled. Now divine means from God. Okay. Enablement means it gives you abilities. So grace is like the, the ooze that the turtles walked in and became the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, okay? They weren't ninjas beforehand, but they got the ooze and they became ninjas. Grace is like the spinach that Popeye eats before he fights Brutus. Grace is like the ring that the Green Lantern puts on his finger. Grace is like the arc reactor that Tony Stark puts inside of his heart to become... Okay, good. So y'all know Iron Man, but you don't know who Moses is. That's okay. Anyway, and so, so grace divinely enables you. It enables you. Grace, it says, go back to the scripture, Ephesians 2.8. So by grace through faith, you don't even have the faith to believe in God without... Without... You don't have the faith to even walk this aisle without... It all came from... It's the free gift of... There's nothing you can do to earn... Okay, now, so that is what grace does. Here's what grace is. Grace is, take me to the next one, it is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. Is there anything you can do to deserve grace? Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. There we go. <laughs> I got confused for a minute, but you did good. You did good. Is there anything you can do to deserve grace? Is there anything you can do to merit grace? It is free. Yes. It's a gift. Yes. When someone gives you a gift, do you have to pay for it? No. Is it free? Yes. Do you deserve it? No. <laughs> okay, so we finished the Ten Commandments. Today in part one, I want to talk to you about amazing law. And the title of every sermon in this series will start with the word amazing, of course, because we're talking about grace. Amazing law. There are people who don't see grace in the Old Testament. They think God was mean in the Old Testament, new in the Nice Testament. The same God of the Old is the same God of the New. Uh, grace is the center, is the center focus of the Old Testament, and it's the center focus of the New Testament. Now, when I say law, and I want to talk to everybody this young, I'm not talking about the American law. I'm not talking about speed limits. I'm talking about the Mosaic law. It's called the Mosaic law because it was given to. Moses, okay? So the law, when, I, when preachers say the law, they're talking about the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments that got turned into 614 to 640 
other commandments and rules. That's what we're talking about. But I want to show you salvation in the Old Testament. I want to show you grace with the Ten Commandments, okay? So the Israelites, they're in bondage. They're in slavery. They're in Egypt. Y'all got that, right? What did they do to deserve God to save them? Did they do anything to deserve God to save them? Louder. That's right. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Talk louder. They didn't do anything to deserve it. God didn't say, listen, I'm going to give you these rules, and after you obey them, then I'm going to save you and deliver you out of bondage. No, God said this, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to put supernatural plagues on your enemies. I'm going to give you gold, wealth, and jewels. I'm going to drown your enemies in the Red Sea. I'm going to pull you out of that, and then after I give you my grace, then I'm going to give you ten principles to live by. That's grace. That's salvation. God didn't say, I want you to do all this first, and then if you do it right, I'm going to save you. I'm going to get you out of slavery. No, because the Bible says we're in bondage to sin. So God pulls them out. Now you say, where's the faith? It took faith for them to walk through the Red Sea and believe the walls would not crash on them. That is great. That is by grace through faith. Y'all see it? By grace, God delivers them. They did nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it. God delivers them because that's who He is. He's a good God. If they had God's favor, it's unearned, undeserved, unmerited grace. And then, after He pulls them out, then He says, okay, but you've got to walk through this Red Sea and believe it's not going to come crashing down on you. And they had to believe. You know how people that won't come to church because they say, if I come to church, the walls are going to come crashing down on me. You don't know the kind of guy I am, you know. No, that's not the kind of God we serve. He delivers them, then he gives them principles. So, I have two points today under amazing law. The first point's very long, the second point's very short, and that is this. Number one, the law was given so we could succeed. The law was given so we could succeed. So let me explain to you, because a lot of Christians believe after you're saved, you don't need the law anymore. The law's perfect. Why would you not need something that's perfect? The law's there to help us succeed. So, here's what happened. These people are living in Egypt, right? They're in bondage. Tracking with me? They're in bondage. They're, they're not doing well. God delivers them. They had never had any rules. They lived where everyone's sleeping around, where people are getting murdered, where stealing, theft, there's slavery, all kind of bad things. So they didn't know how to live. So they're an uncivilized people, and God's bringing them, trying to establish a civilized society. So he gives them ten moral rules, ten moral principles. Moral means right or wrong. Okay, right or wrong. So this is God's morality. This is, this is God's perfect morals. And he gives it to them so they know how to live. Um... Imagine, uh, y'all, I don't know if y'all ever read the book Lord of the Flies, where these boys, they get trapped on an island, there's no teachers, no coaches, no parents, and so you'd think because there's no rules that they would just pray for each other and give and serve one another. No, no, no. Human nature comes out when there's no rules or no laws. They begin to kill each other and do horrible things. That's what happens apart from the law. So God brings them these Ten Commandments and says, this is how you're going to live. This is how you're going to succeed. Um, and they, if without it, they wouldn't have known. Uh, remember whenever Cain killed Abel, that's Adam and Eve's kids, one killed the other one. How did he know it was wrong to murder his brother? He didn't know. No one ever told him. Human nature doesn't know the right thing. We were born into sin. You never have to teach a child how to be selfish or say mine or say give me. In fact, children, even babies, they're so manipulative, they can actually manipulate grown adults to give them what they want simply by crying and pointing. Oh, do you want your bottle, baby? Do you mean change your diaper? A baby has never said, his first words have never been thank you. A baby's first words have never been yes ma'am, no ma'am, or how can I serve you mommy and daddy? No, no. 
human nature is always to be served and to be selfish. That's human nature. So that's why God gave him the law. Uh, Romans 7, 7, Paul said, who is the writer of grace, said, I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. He was saying, I wouldn't have known this. I wouldn't have known it was wrong to want what someone else has unless for the law. Now, the Christians that believe that, you know, you don't need the law anymore because you're saved. I want to ask you a question. Um, if, if only Christians lived in Myrtle Beach, only Christians, and all the speed limit signs were taken off the roads, do you think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wish that would happen. But anyway, do you think that us Christians that are led by the Spirit of God only, do you think that any of us would drive at unsafe speeds? Of course we would. Of course we would. We're human beings. <laughs> You can be led by the Spirit, but that does not do away with having the law or the Ten Commandments or any of that in your life. Psalms 119.105 says, The Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see this room in here? The lights for this room are at the back of the sanctuary. Okay, I've come in this room hundreds of times in my life. But when you walk in through this door, it's pitch dark in here. So you have to make your way to the lights to get there. Do you know how many times I had the thought, you know what, I've been in this room enough to know exactly where the aisles are, exactly where to turn, I can make it from that door to those lights without my flashlight. Every single time I end up with either a bruise on my shin or a busted toe or I say something in the house of God I should not have said. So I've learned through my impatience, I have to take out my flashlight as soon as I open the door and let that light guide me through the aisles to get to my destination. You need this to help get you from where you're at to where you want your destination or where God's destination is for your life. Without the light, you're going to be living in the dark. In James 1, 23 through 25, it says this, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. But he who looks into the perfect law, is the law perfect? Hey, hey, hey. I know you're taking notes. Is the law perfect? Yes. Say it. Yes, yes it is. The law is perfect. It's perfect. And just what it says will be blessed by God. Okay. There's a thing about a mirror. Here's a, here's a sad thing about the mirror. The mirror never lies. <laughs> if there was anything you would want to lie to you, it would be the It would certainly be the mirror. But it does not lie. Okay. The mirror shows you what you really look like. The mirror shows you if there's dirt on your face, if it needs to be cleaned. Every time we open the Bible, we should be humble enough to say, you know what, I'm dirty. The Bible's perfect, the law of the Lord is perfect, and every time we open it, we say, ooh, I got some dirt on my face. Now here's the thing, it's not a window for you to look at somebody else. It's a mirror for you to look at yourself. Now the funny thing about a mirror is, a mirror does not wash your face. You don't use a mirror to clean you, you use a mirror to see if you need to be clean. You use the word of God to see that you need to be clean. And every time you open it, you should be reminded only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can actually wash this dirty thing in front of me. <laughs> it doesn't lie. It doesn't lie. You know, I think it's interesting that the Bible is full of the morals of God. And it seems like that churches nowadays, um, they stop reflecting the morals of God. They stop having standards. And unfortunately, one of the ways, not all and not for all churches, but one of the ways to grow a big church is to stop having morals and standards in the church. In other words, um, they can get drunk five nights a week, but as long as they can sing, we want them to sing on a microphone. Uh, they can sleep around and live however they want to live, but as long as they're a good teacher, we want them to teach in Sunday school. 
Um, they can, you know, dress however they want to dress, loosely, provocatively, but as long as they come to church. And I'm not saying we should have things that hurt people or we should have rules that cause anyone to ever be dismissed from this place, but you should want a church that has standards. And here's why. The further we draw the line away from the Bible, the less our church reflects Christ and the more it reflects the world. You know what? Let me take out the word church and put another word in there. The further we draw the line away from the Bible, the less our home reflects Christ and the more it reflects the world. Let me make it more personal. The further we draw the line away from the Bible, the less ourselves reflect Christ and the more it reflects the world. The law of the Lord is perfect. Uh, let me teach you something. This is a big revelation for today, okay? This is a big one for today. You'll never forget this. Um, is God for or against murder? Say it loud. Is God for or against adultery? Is God for or against stealing? Is God for or against lying? Why? How do we know that? Because it's in the Word, right? Why is it in the Word? Why is it in the Bible? In other words, did God say, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a big old hat and put some ideas in there. And I'm going to pull them out and I'm going to decide this is right and this is wrong. Because see, our morality should come from this. If it comes from anything else, you'll always be swayed. It's never going to work out. This is perfect morality. So did God say, okay, eh, tithing, mm, right. Um, strife, eh, wrong. Uh, lying, uh, wrong. Um, serving, mm, right. Is that how God decided what's right and what's wrong? Then why did he say certain things are wrong and why did he say certain things are right? Why is he against certain things and why is he for certain things? Let me ask you a question. Is God for or is he against you? Is he for or against people? Is he for or against train wrecks? He's against it. Why is God against train wrecks? Because it hurts people. Why is God against lying? Why is God against um, sexual morality? Why is God against stealing? If you would open up this word and see, instead of right, wrong, right, and wrong, say, this is what hurts people. This is what causes me success. This is what causes me pain. This is what causes me joy. If we would see God's morals like that, oh, how our lives would be changed. The reason God's against train wrecks is it hurts people. The reason God's against um, murder is because it hurts people. The reason he's against strife is because it hurts people. And he's for people. He's for you. So instead of saying, oh, why can't I do that? You should be saying, oh, that's going to hurt me. (laughs) That's going to cause me pain. God did not give us the Ten Commandments so that we could make him happy. He gave us the law, the Ten Commandments, so that we would be happy. It's like um, if you're a parent of a grown child and your grown child comes home for Thanksgiving and Christmas and you're sitting around the table and your grown child senses a little bit of tension and they're not living the way they should. They're living not not a good lifestyle and they're around the table saying, Mom, Dad, what's wrong with y'all? Do y'all not agree with how I live? Here's what your answer should be. Of course I don't. Well, why not? Because I love you. And I don't want you to take your seatbelt off and drive drunk because that'll hurt you and somebody else. And according to the Bible and the precepts of the Bible, what you're doing is going to cause a train wreck in your life. 
don't want you to have a train wreck. I don't want you to lose the things God's put in your life. I don't want you to lose the friendships that he's given you. I don't want you to lose the relationship with us. I don't want you to lose the relationship with your church family, your finances, your health. I am for you. That's why I disagree with this lifestyle that you're living. Because I love you. If I didn't care about you, then I wouldn't care what you did. The reason I disagree, the reason I don't, the reason I don't, it's not my desire that you live that way is because I'm for you. And train wrecks hurt people. They hurt you, they hurt others. There's a very important point you need to always understand about the law. The law reflects the parameters of God's desires, but it does not reflect the parameters of his love. It reflects the boundaries of God's desires for your life, but it does not reflect the boundaries of God's love for you. Let me ask you a question. Um, Does the world obey the law of God? Yes or no? No. Does God love the world? First, uh, I mean, John 3.16 says so. God loved the world. For God's love, God's love. It does not reflect his love, but it does reflect the boundaries of how he wants to live. Uh, Real quick before I get to my next point. Remember the woman that was caught in the act of adultery in the New Testament? They dragged her before Jesus and they said, "Um, Jesus, the law says we should stone her. What do you say? Now listen real close. Jesus never said don't stone her. In fact, he actually said you can stone her. Did you know that? When they brought her, Jesus said, okay, you can stone her. That's what the law says. Jesus never disagreed with the law. You can stone her. John 8, 7. But here's how it's going to work. The one without sin is going to cast the first stone. Now, here's something really cool. Jesus qualified himself as the only person who could ever throw a stone. And yet he did. He's the only, he qualified himself to be the only one that can throw stones at you yet he chooses not to. And so everyone walked away, and then he said, where's your accusers? There's none here. Has anyone condemned you? No, Lord, nobody's condemned me. So in John 8, 11, here's grace in the law. Ready? Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. There's grace. Now go and sin no more. There's truth. Why would he tell her that? Why didn't he just say, I don't condemn you? Here's why. I love you. And there's a train wreck ahead of you. And I care about you so much. So if I don't tell you this truth, you're going to lose things in life. It's not going to be good for you. And I want your life to be good. So listen, I'm not going to condemn you, but don't do it anymore. Why would he even think that after all these years she's been doing this, just like that, she's going to stop? Here's why. He poured grace out on her. Grace is the only thing that can enable us to obey what God says. You cannot obey God without grace. You can't breathe without grace you can't read your bible without grace and the problem with a lot of christians that have been saved a long time they look at people that aren't saved and they think well i'm better than you look what i've done you had not done nothing without grace you couldn't get saved without grace you can't continue to serve jesus without grace is that right amen is this a good sermon is mark a dork Okay, <laughs> I had to throw that in there in some part of the sermon. Okay, last point, this is, a, this is an easy one. Number two, ready? The law was given so we would fail. Interesting. I thought I just told you the law was given so we could succeed. Yep, it is. It was given so you could fail. Let me listen real close. God wanted you to fail. 
God wanted to give you a perfect law so you could fail. It is His desire that you fail every single day because without that, you don't need Him. If the law was imperfect and you could actually obey it, you wouldn't need Him. If the law was easy and you could do it on your own, you wouldn't need Him. So by Him giving you a perfect moral law, imperfect people cannot obey it. See, the way it works with the law is, uh, and God, because God is perfect, and this is even science and math right here, if God is perfect, there's no perfect and then almost perfect, kind of perfect, maybe perfect, great, good, medium. It's not like that. Because there's perfection in God and His law, everything else is imperfect. James 2.10 says you can keep the entire law, but if you've even told one little white lie, and lies are not categorized by color, by the way, but anyway, if one little white lie... If you do that wrong, you are imperfect. You've broken it all. So the murderer, the thief, and the adulterer is in the exact same boat as the little liar. Because we are all imperfect. Without a perfect law, you wouldn't need to know you need to grow. That's why you should want a church that has standards. Because with standards, you know, ooh, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. If there's no standards, you don't need Jesus. If there's nothing for you to grow in, you don't need God. If the law was imperfect and you could do it, then what do you need Jesus for? What do you need Jesus for? So the whole purpose of the law is for you to know you can't do it. You can't do it. In fact, in fact um, the law was even, the verbiage of the Ten Commandments was written for you to be sin conscious and fail. Okay? Eight out of Ten Commandments start with the words, thou shalt not. What happens to human nature when you're told not to do something? You do it! God told Adam and Eve, you can do whatever you want to, but don't eat off this tree. As soon as he turns around, what do they do? You know, if God had told them, um, you can do anything you want to, but don't stand on your head. As soon as God went back to heaven, he'd turn around and they'd be standing on their head. If God said, you can do whatever you want to, but don't take this big rock and bash your toe in. As soon as God turns around, Eve would be like, hey, honey, come get this rock real quick. Bash my toe in. Bam, oh, man, that hurts. Why did God say not to do it? Because it hurts. It's not good for you. That's why he said not to do it. That's how, in fact, um, there was a song in 1960 called Will You Love Me Tomorrow. It was the first number one hit by an all-black female group. And you know why it became a number one hit? Because as soon as it came out, every radio station banned it, and they said, nobody needs to buy this record. Nobody listened to this song. We don't want your ears to hear it. And what happened? Everybody bought the record. It became a number one hit. Same thing with Great Balls of Fire, Jerry Lewis, Imagine with John Lennon. Um, and oh, and that, that perverted guy that moves his hips with the last name Presley, what's his name? The king of rock and roll. Don't watch him. Stay away from that kind of music. Okay, where can I buy it? Which store can I get it from? That's what human nature does. <laughs> there was this pastor who was doing an experiment with law and grace. It was his son's eight-year-old birthday, and he told his son, he said, listen, son, I, I need to do an experiment. I need your help, though. I want you to make sure during your birthday party that nobody spits in my garden. His son said, okay. I'm serious. It's your job. You're on my side, right? Yes, Daddy, I'm on your side. Make sure nobody spits in my garden. So all the kids show up. There's about 12 of them. And the pastor says to all the kids, okay, everybody, listen. Have a good birthday party. We want you to swim in the pool and have fun. Yay! But don't spit in my garden. We want you to have cake and ice cream and hot dogs. It's going to be so good. But don't spit in my garden. What's a garden? Why should we, what's on spin? I want y'all listen, y'all can jump on the trampoline, play kickball, freeze tag, but don't spit in the garden. 
Now go and have fun. So the pastor goes inside the house. He gets a video camera, sets it up right there by the window where the garden's at, moves the blinds out of the way. Within the first 40 minutes, every single child secretly spat in the garden. His own son that was in on it spat twice. Now, if he had never said, don't spit in the garden, they would have never spat in the garden. <laughs> okay, let me teach you a, a, a big theological point, and then, then I'll close with a story. Um, God never intended for us humans to live our life based on right and wrong. That was never his intention. His intention was never for us to go through life saying, is this right or is this wrong? Is it right to do this and wrong to do this? What's wrong? What's right? What's wrong? Is this wrong? Is that wrong? What's right? That was never his intention, ever. When God created the Garden of Eden, he put two trees in the center of it. In Genesis 2.9, one tree was called um, the, the tree of life, and the other one was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? Which one were they allowed to eat off of? Tree of life. Which one were they told not to eat off of? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. And their spirit died as soon as they did. So we could call that tree the tree of death. Right? We call it tree of death. The knowledge of good and evil is the law. This is right, this is wrong. This is right, this is wrong. In fact, the reason God kicked them out of the garden after they ate from that tree is because if they had eaten from the tree of life, after eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would live forever in a fallen state. Anyway, so you have the tree of death. The other tree is called the tree of, tree of life. God never intended for us to go through life, knowledge, good, evil, good, evil, good, evil. He intended for us to go through life based on your life and everything else is death. It's easy to determine, it's easy to choose if you look at it as life and death. If I said take this pill and you live and take this pill and you die, you would t it's easy choice. Easy choice. But a lot of Christians, even after they're saved, they go through life saying, is this right or is this wrong? Is this right or is this wrong? It was supposed to be that we are in such a relationship with the Father that everything He gives and everything He says and everything He does is life. And I want to live eternally and I want life and I want joy and I want peace. I want life. I don't want death. Why would I ever go down this road? This is death. Rather than, okay, is this right? Is this wrong? What should I do? This past week, I told you I had the vertigo spell. And my wife took care of me every second. I mean, I literally was in one position with my eyes closed for 30 seconds every second. Did she take care of me because it was the right thing to do? Or did she take care of me because she loves our life together. Yeah. Do you serve God? Is this the right thing to do? Do you give because that's right? Come to church because that's right? Forgive because that's right? Okay, I guess if it's the right thing to do. Are you in such a relationship with the Father that whatever He says and does, I'll serve you. I'll give it all away. I just love you so much. I just love to be in your presence. I just love to hang around. I just love to go on walks with you. My middle son told me that two weeks ago, he said, you know, Dad, during my quiet time with the Lord, sometimes I'll go out to my car by myself. But he said, I'll sit in the passenger side just so I'm always reminded that God
God's in control. In a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But before I do, my middle son, Eli, this past Wednesday, he got baptized. And um, I was supposed to be there, but I had the vertigo spell. And so um, my wife, Micah, went there and she videotaped it. And so I asked him if I could play this video because he says three words that I typed and put on the screen that I want you to hear him say. And this is what it looks like to be eating off of the tree of life rather than the tree of the knowledge of good people. Play this video. So, my name is Eli, if you haven't met me. Uh, hey, uh, it's a very big leap of faith here, you know, getting baptized. Uh, showing um, Christ followers and non-Christ followers that uh, Jesus Christ is my Savior. So if I could, uh, I'm going to share a little gist of what's been going on for the past 16 years. So I'm a pastor's kid. Uh, so I've always been around church and uh, Christ-like uh, environments. And, you know, I praise God and I pray uh, to Him every single night. Uh, so I guess you could say I've had a relationship with Christ, you know, ever since I can remember. Uh, there's been a legacy of ministry within my family for the past two generations. And my family uh, has and still believes that... Um, I'm called to be the next one to do that out of the out of my four siblings. And so because of that, um, I believe that I needed to reach uh, perfection. Um, I shame myself anytime I sin. And uh, I fill myself up with pride. And something um, something that didn't help as well was I used to believe that I was the only uh, teenage Christian out there. And so it wasn't until someone invited me to Fuse 10 months ago uh, was then that I saw the things that God uh, tried to reveal to me all this time. And he showed me that I wasn't alone with the steps of faith that I was taking. He showed me that it's not wrong for me to confess sin. And the greatest of all, he revealed to me that Christianity isn't a religion, but it's about being able to run to a father that will never stop loving you. I've been able to hear him so clearly. I've heard him call me into ministry multiple times. I love Jesus and I'm getting baptized to give glory to him.